Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Today, my guest is Senior Portfolio Manager, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Dan. So, Chris, uh, you know, in today's conversation, you know, one of the things that we want to touch upon is what has taken place inside the equity market, U.S. equity market. And, you know, here we are recording in, in late April, um, and we have again seen uh, the U.S. market reach a new all-time high. And, and this is a, a real stark departure from the year end of, of 2018. You know, what, what in your opinion or what are you seeing out there that has really driven this, this incredibly sharp year-to-date recovery? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a theme that we've talked about a lot in the last several years, and it's continued this year as well. Um, and there's a couple of reasons, A, why we began the recovery and why it was so sharp, and B, kind of what's led the recovery. And first, it's important to remember that liquidity drives assets, and we saw a significant shift not only in the Federal Reserve's stance on further tightening, which changes the forward view of liquidity, but we also saw (coughs) direct liquidity injections into the market or or into the financial system in mid-December, and then that was followed on again with the big increase in monetary stimulus by China, Um, and that money has to find a home, and you can see what just improved liquidity does. You get a a V-shaped recovery in risk assets. Um, and so that's really what's driven the, the market to date. Now, since it was followed on by stimulus from China, I think there's a hope, as we, so many people say, the green shoots uh, for a cyclical recovery. So we have seen cyclicals outperform the more stable areas of the market, although all areas of the market really did sell off in that fourth quarter. Um, and it's yet to be determined whether those green sh- shoots will continue to blossom or if we'll just kind of flatline. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned, you know, the Fed's behavior. You know, today I read an article, I read a headline rather, that uh, President Trump has asked the Fed to cut rates down an, another 1%. Um, you know, what's, what's the, what, what are, I guess would you say is, is the, the likeliness of something like that occurring where the Fed does go ahead and, and, and cut? I, you know, I'm, I know this may be a bit of a contrarian um, opinion, but I actually would not be surprised to see the Fed cut rates Uh, even in this second quarter. Uh, It's clear in just looking at the curve and looking at the issues that the relationship between the rate of interest on excess reserves and the effective fund rate and the pressure in the repo market, that there is some tight liquidity conditions or tight uh, banking reserve conditions in the system. And that's clearly going to have an impact on the ability to, you know, generate credit and, and get loan growth out there. So it won't surprise me to see uh, the Federal Reserve cut rates. And, you know, we've been in this thesis that we think the economy is still slowing down. We think they went a little too far in the back half of 18. And while they're talking about ending QT in, in September, uh, they may need to end it sooner, and more importantly, they need to bring that short rate down more consistent with what the yield curve's telling them to do. So, and, and one more follow-up to that. So, you know, as we, as, we, as we have seen in the last number of years, when there is a liquidity injection into the, into the marketplace or there is some type of um, uh, reduction of rates, you know, we're, we're finding that excess liquidity going into the pricing of risk assets, right, which, mm-hmm. you, which you've mentioned. Um, is that just going to be the case again? Are we just going to drive prices up? Or are we going to experience some type of you know, ebb and flow along the lines of pricing, uh, which we've yeah. experienced in the last two quarters? Yeah, it, it's you know, a theme that we're gonna, we think is going to play out for a long time. We think it's playing out in pockets of the housing market now is this excess liquidity is what we've been recessing. 
And when you do that, it comes out of price and it comes out of price of risk assets. And we think this will happen over a long period of time. So yes, I do think that the, when, they, when they add liquidity to the market, it's gonna go into price. We need to see if that then goes into the real economy and the longer we've been on uh, extreme kind of uh, liquidity measures for the better part of 10 years, we've kind of financialized the broader economy and the global economy for that matter. And so you can have an impact of whether it's through the improvement of collateral values or the improvement of liquidity availability that then improves collateral values can have a real impact on the real economy, meaning it can translate into credit creation, which is money that can be used for economic purposes. Um, ultimately, the more you go to that lever, the less impactful it is, which is why we've seen a big shift towards fiscal policy over the last year. And we think we're gonna continue to see that transfer from monetary policy to fiscal policy, where monetary policy is relied on just to keep the system stable but we need to start shifting to more fiscal policy responses to really support economic growth. Great. So in, in one of our uh, recent conversations we had, I mean, you, you mentioned economic growth is, is continuing to slow. Um, and then that you, uh, you know, estimated that second half earnings uh, are going to be at, at risk. Uh, and then all of a sudden we go out and, and print, you know, 3.2% on a GDP. It, does that number like that, does that start to alleviate your concerns? Um, you know, do you think we are back on track uh, for a stronger finish in 2019 back half? Uh, I don't think so. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the GDP numbers will get revised and the number is what the number is. So it's, it's hard to sit here and say that the 3.2 isn't real. I think what you have to look at or just look at the individual components of it. And what we said was, look, real consumer spending, the slowdown that we saw on the industrial side last year was spreading into services and that there, we got to wait and see whether that was a pull forward of demand um, as it relates to uh, building up of inventory goods uh, for tariff negotiations or if it's a general overall slowdown. The weakness we saw in the back half of 2018 was also evident in employment statistics, but you had to really look through to see it. So, you know, when you look at average hourly earnings, they were moving up, but they were moving up because hours were falling and earnings were being held flat. So it's just kind of a, a calculation that was driving those earnings higher. What we saw then in the fourth quarter, and it's kind of continued into the first quarter, and we saw it in this first quarter GDP print, was personal consumption is just flatlining. It is continuing to decelerate. And if, if you look at kind of CapEx and personal consumption together, maybe we're growing 1.5% a year. The big components of the 3.2% GDP uh, calculation was, one, inventory bills. And two, you know, we're running government deficits at a fairly significant rate. That's going to play out and start to slow down at the end of 2019 unless we ramp up the infrastructure spending or, or some other um, element of, of federal uh, budget expansion. And another big contributor was the deflator in the first quarter was unusually low. Um, so, you know, if you got anywhere close to what CPI has been, that would have probably pulled another 1% out of GDP. So I still look at it as, look, the world's not broken, but real GDP is running between 1% and 2%, and it's still decelerating. You know, we've seen uh, the, the deceleration in China, and China's a big component of global growth. Uh, the hope was with the stimulus, we would see a pickup in Chinese activity that clearly hasn't happened. There's been some stabilization, but not any growth. 
And we're still starting to see trading partners that feed into China continue to slow. So I, you know, I still think the back half earnings are at risk. Uh, you know, first quarter earnings reports are fine relative to estimates, but that means absolutely nothing because it just means we brought down estimates too far. Uh, when you look kind of year over year with, you know, almost a little over half of the companies reporting in the S&P 500, you know, we're slightly negative. Um, and mar you can see, you know, margins are going to continue to be an issue. Um, so I think, you know, the next six to eight weeks is going to be critical. We need to see an inflection in growth. We need to see an inf inflection back up in inflation expectations so we can get some price support. Uh, but as it stands now, I'm not changing uh, the view that I still think we're slowing down. And I still think the, the, the anticipated hockey stick increase in earnings in the back half of 19 is definitely still at risk. And one piece I'll pull out of there, uh, and, and you tell me if I make it too far of a leap here, but, you know, we, we read employment statistics and, you know, those mm -hmm. are uh, glowingly positive. Uh, yet you mentioned that hours actually worked or, or down. Um, and do you think that is linking to the resulting of, of personal consumption flatlining? Um, and then how do you tie those two back? To yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, I think there's no question that on the margin job, the job activity, employment activity, as hot as it was, is slowing. It's Everything's classic late cycle, right? Mm -hmm. we've, we've seen all this. They raised rates, housing cracked, uh, now employment's starting to slow. It's spreading into services. The next leg to drop, and we've been talking about this internally for the better part of a month, is we're going to cut auto production dramatically. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that Chicago PMI today came out down significantly relative to expectations. Um, we have a lot of excess new car inventory, so we'll cut production. If that doesn't clear it, we'll start layoffs. And, you know, those are high-wage jobs, so that weakness while they may be relatively isolated, it's just another dampener overall. Um, so we're in a just a textbook slowdown, and the Fed's trying to get out ahead of it uh, much quicker than they have in the past. But the reality is I don't think adding liquidity to the fire is going to have a huge impact on the real economy. We can make asset prices bounce for a little bit. But it's not going to have a, a, a material impact on the on the broader economy. Right, right. But one something that may is, is housing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'd be curious on your macro view of housing. Um, you know, we've had some recent numbers print that allude that the housing market is, is improving, it's strengthening. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I, I think you need to have bifurcate the housing market, right? So underlying demand, and this ties right back into our thesis of kind of excess liquidity that drove excess price. Um, and in some cases, you know, you look at Vancouver where they're going to go through a significant housing crisis and other major cities will as well, which was driven by excess liquidity. So let's separate the high end from the entry level. So there's, there's a significant amount of demand for entry level homes. The problem is there's not a lot of supply. So that's kind of held back sales there. At the same time, high end housing is under severe pressure. Uh, and it's under pressure not only because of the higher rates, but also because of the loss of the SALT deductions. And so we're in the process of repricing that. And it's the high end that moves prices higher. Unfortunately, we've reached the ceiling. We've reached the ceiling of affordability because we changed tax law in the high end. We've also reached the ceiling of affordability on the low end because, quite frankly, you, there's not enough savings to make the down payment necessary for these relatively expensive quote, starter homes. So the home builders are scrambling to try to get the right inventory in front of 
uh, new home purchasers. There's plenty of demand. There's household formation is very healthy, but we just got to bring an, an affordable product uh, to these new home buyers. And if we're able to do that, uh, then housing activity certainly will pick back up. Uh, my guess is what will happen is we'll find a way to do that. And in the process, the home builders will give up some margin. Uh, but it's why we've seen kind of this dichotomy between some commodities and quote, you know, the overall reflationary environment that should be coming with the increase in, in monetary stimulus. So, so where, where do we see that uh, playing out? Do we see that as home builders go out and we're, we're going to see a, a flood of, of entry level homes of um, you know, starter home type homes mm -hmm. coming into the marketplace? Or is this going to be every price is going to be compressed across the entire chain and then homes that historically have been entry-level homes are now once again affordable and available yeah. for people. I, I don't think you'll see a flood. I think we'll see an increase of supply. It just takes too long to permit and, sure. and get things ready. Uh, so there won't be a flood of, of entry-level homes. But what you're going to see is I think you're going to see just a, a cap in home price appreciation. It's crystal clear in a lot of the case, Schiller, that that's happening. There's no question that there's serious problems in luxury real estate in certain markets. But for the entry level, I just think we'll see a cap in price and those prices will go sideways for a while and we'll let incomes catch up yep. and then we can start to appreciate. Yeah, good, that makes sense there. Uh, so as we are thinking back to, to the market in general sense, you know, it, it appears as though the market has, has begun to, to discount future Fed stimulus. And you know, a couple of, of uh, you know, anecdotes that we could pull apart that, that is demonstrating that is one, we've seen you know, the yield curve shift lower it's steepened between the two-year and 10-year treasury. Um, you know, Year-to-date, this, this big equity rally has been, as you mentioned before, uh, led by cyclicals rather than defensives. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're getting conflicting signals from the commodity and currency markets, right? The dollar's been strong, and it looks like it could potentially get stronger. Um, things like copper, lumber, and other typical commodities uh, are soft and, and declining. Um, so you know, how, how do you reconcile you know, these you know, really very much conflicting signals mm -hmm. in that the market's giving today? Yeah, no, I, th I think what you, you got to look at the flow. So what's driving it? Because you're right. I mean, we're supposed to be reflating, yet the dollar's increasing. And if the rest of the world was reflating, the dollar would be selling off. At the same time, the day we, we printed this 3.2% real G GDP print, the entire treasury curve shifted lower. And to me, that is, is the bond market telling you that, look, that was a very soft GDP print. Uh, it had some anomalies in it with inventory builds and an abnormally low in, uh, uh, inflation deflator. Uh, so it is just completely consistent with uh, our thinking that we're still starting, we're still seeing a slowdown, even if it's not in real GDP, in nominal GDP, we're certainly seeing a slowdown. Um, and that also shows up in the fact that copper prices aren't rallying, lumber prices continue to trade sideways to down. Um, so outside of oil, which has gone through its own uh, set of supply and demand dynamics and sell-offs and recoveries in the last 12 months, there's not a big indication that inflationary pressures are building and that we're starting to reflate. So then why the cyclical rally versus defensives and why the big market rally in general? If you look at kind of uh, uh, capital flows, it's clear that capital flows are flowing out of Europe and into the U.S. primarily and then into Japan, but primarily into dollar assets. And so we have this unusual element of 
you know, multinational and the S&P 500 rallying and cyclicals rallying while the dollar's rallying. And quite frankly, there's a decent chance that's going to lead to disappointments in earnings in the second quarter, uh, if not the, the third and fourth quarter of this year. Um, we're starting, we're definitely seeing flows into emerging markets as well, uh, less so in China. Liquidity still tightening in China. So you have liquidity forcing a kind of rally in risk assets. You're seeing stabilization in the rate of decline. So things are getting less worse versus where they were at the end of 18. That's true of Germany as well, but you know, parts of Europe are clearly already in recession. So things are getting less bad. So just looking at the typical behavior of markets, as things get less bad, they begin to position for the up move. And so what would lead to disappointment in this market is we get no follow through from the real economic impulse. So while liquidity is showing up, again, it becomes an overused kind of factor of production. So its efficacy uh, dwindles over time. We may not get the true economic lift in the back half that's being discounted into the market. And so you would see you know, somewhat of a give back uh, the cyclicals versus defensives, depending on relative valuations. Uh, you'd probably see continued strength in the dollar, which would start bringing down earnings estimates for the S&P 500 and continue to put more pressure on the emerging and developing markets. Uh, but certainly it is clear from looking at commodities and looking at flows that you know, these next six to eight weeks are going to be critical. We're going to get a lot of information as to whether the earnings recovery that's discounted in the back half of 19 gets pushed further out into 2020 or, quite frankly, just doesn't exist, in which case you're going to see multiple compression across equity markets. Right. It seems like you know, every time we talk, um, you know, it's always the next uh, four, six or eight weeks here are going to be critical. <laughs> it keeps yeah. rolling, rolling along. You know, so, and, and so how do you prepare yourself, right? And so as a portfolio manager, uh, as you are evaluating what's taking place on a, on a macroeconomic scale and then trying to apply that, apply that yeah. rather into the, uh, into the portfolios. But you know, what, are, what are some things that you monitor to determine if the central bank's uh, recent efforts for reflationary yeah. um, are impacting the economy and then yeah. you know, you know, vis-a-vis they're going to be impacting the businesses yeah, that yeah. you own? Yeah, no, certainly we, you know, we subscribe to you know, some third-party research that does give us a little bit of a two- to three-month lead on growth rate inflections and will certainly give us confirmation signals that growth rate cycle downturns remain in place. And so those are just critical to knowing, you know, where you want to tilt the portfolio and when. Um, you know, I, I think we're set up for a pause. So while we're monitoring those signals, you know, we're going to get some good real-time data this week. We're going to get PMIs. Um, we've got housing activity. We're going to get another employment report as well at the end of the week. So there's going to be signal there. But I think we're set up. We've gone too far too fast. So while we had our buy list going into the fourth quarter, anticipating a correction because of the liquidity leaving the market, we executed on that. Some of those positions have moved significantly. Um, we'd like to continue to build those, but we'd like to see a 10% pullback. April was seasonally a very strong month for markets. It's proving to be the case again this year. Um, we're going to have to start digesting these gains. I suspect, you know, whether it's in May or, or in June, we're going to have an opportunity to add to the portfolio. And as we see whether the liquidity increases from 
late fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, first quarter, if they're starting to translate into real increases in economic activity, we'll know what to do with some of the cash that we've raised during this first quarter. And if not, you know, we'll go the other direction with the cash. Great. Well, excellent, Chris, excellent as always. You know, thank you very much for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for the, the PMI, the housing, the employment, all the other big reports that are coming out here in the short term. Uh, and we'll look forward to having you on again soon. You thank bet. you. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.